Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Well, Sid, we've been, had our finger on the pulse the past That's couple true. Of weeks. That's been true. Been real plugged into the zeitgeist. And you said that this week you want to take it back, take it old school. That's right. I wanted to step back. We've been doing some trendy topics, which I think are interesting because everybody's talking about them and everybody wants to know more about them. Um, but there's a lot of stuff. There, there's so many things in medicine that are common and have a long history and a lot of stuff to talk about. And I get it. I'm consistently amazed that we haven't done it yet on this show. Mm -hmm. But that's also a good thing because maybe our show can be infinite. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I love that. Maybe that's what I'm learning. Uh, And and the topic we're going to discuss this week is one of those. I don't know how we haven't talked about it yet because it's also one of our most requested topics. And that's thyroid disease. I know that doesn't sound as sexy and exciting as raw water and Tide yeah, Pods. I'm, I'm loving it. Um, you uh, you sort of said, it, right before we started, it was funny, you said that um, you didn't include uh, a section on what the thyroid is or how it works <laughs> because you sort of assumed that everybody just knew that, to which I kind of did, um, I, was, I, was, I took a bunch of water in my mouth so I could do a spit take <laughs> and shake my head violently to say, no, Sydney, I don't have any... You, I literally couldn't get a hemisphere of the body where the thyroid is. I really? do not know if it's in your brain or your butt. It's in your neck. Great. See, I would have been wrong neck. on both counts. Yeah. it. Uh, that See, that surprises me because it... Does it? Well, okay. Here's my rationale. This is very reasonable. It's a, it's a common... It's common to have problems with your thyroid. That's one of the more common disorders. Uh, and I get asked about it by patients a lot Uh, i i have like a lot of people who request that i test them for it so i i guess my impression is that it's out there in the popular medical knowledge right is my impression there i'm not saying that no one knows (laughs) i'm saying that like hoops doesn't and i'm here to speak for the trees by which i mean people like me <laughs> well a lot of people did know about it and requested it and i'm going to list them all now that's kim shannon miranda megan brian Locke, karen kate emily ryan jill sylvie rebecca jack margaret and caitlin Letitia, and david thank you all for recommending this topic like i said i don't know how we haven't covered it yet so let me let me explain the thyroid gland if you don't know is a gland that consists it's an endocrine gland it consists of two lobes and an isthmus that connects them okay little piece of tissue that connects the two lobes and it's right in the front of your throat of your neck 
It's right there in the front. Uh, and the primary function, it does some other things, but the primary function of the thyroid gland is the secretion of thyroid hormones. Thyroid hormones are largely responsible for aspects of your metabolism. Okay. So, and this may be why I get the request to test for it a lot is because if you don't have enough thyroid hormone, one of the major symptoms, two of them, I guess, that I get asked about a lot are weight gain and fatigue. And those are big concerns that I, I spend a lot of time with my patients discussing. So maybe that's why I get that request a lot is people thinking like, gosh, is there something else wrong? And they're looking it up and they're finding thyroid disease as a common cause. Um, so your thyroid gland secretes these hormones. It is stimulated by your brain to do so. And I think it's important just to take a second to explain that a lot of the, especially in the endocrine system, but a lot of glands in your body work on sort of a feedback loop. Okay. So your brain releases signals to your thyroid gland to say, hey, make thyroid hormone. The body needs it. And your thyroid gland responds by making thyroid hormone. Predictable. And then that thyroid hormone goes back to the brain to say, hey, don't worry, I'm here. The gland is working. Your job is done. Now, what can happen if the thyroid gland isn't doing what it's supposed to do is your brain just keeps sending more and more and more signals which is part of how we test for and diagnose thyroid disease, is right. looking for increased numbers of these signals and decreased amount of this hormone and so on and so forth. I think that, that kind of idea that a lot of systems in your body work on feedback loops is important to understanding this. Okay. Okay. So while there are different disorders of the thyroid gland, largely grouped as either not enough thyroid hormone or too much thyroid hormone, the one that has the most history I would say is the goiter, which is an enlargement, a diffuse enlargement of the thyroid gland. Something, something about iodine. Yes, and it has something to do with iodine. So nice. we'll get into that. And the, the goiter, I think that there's the most history associated with it simply because you can see it, right? right? It's a big swelling in your neck. And you can look up pictures of goiters and see some really impressive swellings. Sounds like a cool afternoon. Well, I'm, I'm just What saying. are you doing? Hey, Dan, what are you doing? Um looking for impressive swellings in my Google image search of, <laughs> of goiters because goiters, Sydney said it was worth doing. I'm just saying there's some really impressive goiters throughout history. So uh, if you look to like ancient um, paintings and drawings and depictions, you'll see lots of people who have goiters. It's one of the most depicted probably medical conditions throughout history, again, because it's really easy to, to see. Mm -hmm. um, and throughout Throughout history, it's been like a like a slightly swollen, rounded neck has either been kind of sexy <laughs> and associated with with attractiveness mm -hmm. or uh oh, something's wrong. Right. But still sexy. Maybe. I mean, something's wrong. I mean, wrong, that's fine but, like, if that's, that's a, your thing. If that's you a like, sexy goiter. If, if you like round necks, hey. I got to see if sexygoiters.com is taken real, real quick. <laughs> well, while you're doing that. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say that, again, this is probably because it was really easy to see and, and, and fairly common as well. Throughout history, the goiter is actually a pretty common medical condition because of iodine deficiency, which we will get into. Mm -hmm. um, you can find references to goiters in Chinese texts that date back to uh, 2700 BCE. There are images of Cleopatra that appear to have a goiter. That's been disputed. Did she okay. have a goiter or not? But there's some, there's some depictions of Cleopatra that would indicate she may have had a goiter. Uh, I have it, no idea. You can see paintings from the 7th century that show angels and saints and even depictions of Mary and Jesus as having goiters. 
Not that I'm saying they did. It was just a very common thing to paint people with goiters. Uh, Yeah. Jesus may have. I I don't know. Maybe he had a goiter. Uh, there, there are mentions of different swellings in, of the neck. Uh, if you, if you read ancient Chinese medical texts, um, specifically from 85 AD, we get these descriptions from a physician, Shui Chen Thi, who are, t- who's talking about that some swellings of the neck are no big deal and some swellings of the neck are very bad and can kill you. And he's probably distinguishing between goiters versus benign thyroid nodules. Sometimes you can just have nodular air, like uh, little bumpy areas of tissue that mean nothing. Mm -hmm. And then obviously you can get cancer of the thyroid as well. And so he was probably distinguishing between these different conditions, although it would be hard to do that at the time. If you go back to 1400 BCE, Ayurvedic medicine from, from India defined not only the goiter, but also broke it down into sometimes this thing in your neck tends to be over-functioning, sometimes it's under-functioning, which was really neat because we shouldn't have really been able to understand what any of that meant back then. Right. But they were able to tie different symptoms and, and maladies to that thing in your neck not working correctly, Right. which was, a, which was way ahead of, of their time. Hmm. Um, and if you look at the descriptions of under-functioning and over-functioning thyroid, they're pretty similar to what we would call hyper and hypothyroidism today. Speaking of those words, could they not have found two prefixes that sounded a little more different? You really have to hit that R to make it clear which thyroidism you're talking about. And seeing as they're the exact inverse of each other, it seems very problematic to me. I, I will tell you that I recognize that because whenever I'm discussing it in my day job, I very clearly say hypo and hypo. Burr. <laughs> and people think and, and people think there's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, the treatments, though, are fairly different from what we would do today, even though we see these ancient depictions of oh, these are pretty good descriptions of, of what this disease is. The treatments are not the same. So for hypothyroidism. See, I just did it. Good. <laughs> uh, you could try to prevent it by eating a lot of rice and barley and sugarcane juice and cucumber and milk. All, all very, uh, uh, a lot of sugar, a lot of oats. Not necessarily something that would prevent hypothyroidism. Yeah. More than likely. Um, The treatments largely consisted of some herbal medicines that were thought to like give you energy, vim and vigor and boost your metabolism because fatigue and weight gain can be associated with low functioning thyroid. Um, And then there were some that made you pee. Just give people diuretics because you can also get some swelling, especially in the legs associated with low thyroid. Uh, not, probably not for the kind of swelling that you get from, I mean, maybe it might help a little, but it's not going to solve the problem. Mm. You need thyroid hormone. So it's a different kind of swelling. It's called pretibial, meaning right in front of your tibia. So in front of your shin bones, you get swelling there or myxedema, we'll call it a lot. Hmm. And, um, it's a very particular swelling that is associated with low thyroid function. All right. Yeah. So it may have helped a little. Well, that'd be it. Uh, when it came to goiter, they thought that it was probably a result of the same swelling that they were seeing in like the legs. So they just thought, well, the neck's swollen too. So there was no, there was no thought that it was a different disorder. Or there was a different way to treat it. It would probably have been treated the same way. Mm. Diuretics. Uh, Hippocrates thought that the thyroid was basically a big salivary gland. That's true. No. Mm. Well, <laughs> that's thought- the shot, Sid. 
No. If that had panned I, out, I would have looked smart. Did you really think that was where I was going with this? And it turns out he was right. No, I mean, it's very rarely that, but what a cult shot that would have been, you know? He thought that it, it just made juices that lubricate your respiratory passages, and that was pretty much it. And that's no other wrong from That what is I not said. what it does. Well, I've, I think I've already said what kind of what it does, yeah, so like, well, that's not... That's, yeah. uh, Galen disagreed arguing that it probably absorbed secretions as opposed to making them. And he was right. No. But <laughs> crap. And both How of them How can they both be wrong and opposite? <laughs> One of them's right. Well, they were both basing it on the fact that the thyroid seemed spongy. Okay. They agreed that it was spongy. They both agreed sponginess was a factor. But was that for secretion? Like, you know, like if you squeeze a sponge, I guess, and so water comes out of it or for absorption? They didn't know, but it's spongy either way. Uh, Galen also thought that the goiter was a herniation of the larynx. So your voice box, he thought that the goiter was just kind of like it poking out there in your neck. Um, And the the term goiter actually probably originated from the word guter, which means larynx or bronchus in Hmm. Latin or gutter, probably gutter. Hmm. But anyway, that's not correct. It has nothing to do with that. But that is where that word comes from. Pliny, of course, had his own ideas. Pliny yeah, the Elder. He's got to get in the mix. He had a he had a, a theory, and and this was actually widely believed at the time, that goiters were caused by drinking snow water. What? <laughs> um, specifically, like alpine snow water. Oh, I see what you did. Th- see what you did that you've been skiing. <laughs> I can tell. How did you know? Amazing, Pliny, you're amazing. How did you know? Well the goiter from the snow water you drink. did you drink did you get thirsty and you, yes i drank snow water you're amazing this probably had to do with certain parts of the world where uh especially like in bavaria where the soil is not particularly rich in iodine and so you see like a prominent like there's a lot of goiters mm-hmm. and so they're connecting well, yeah. there are these snow-covered mountains and people Correlation, go skiing. Correlation, not and, causation. Uh, skiing and, yeah, and that kind of thing. Like, there's this weird connection between all this. And it, I mean, the, the two things did exist, but they had nothing to do with each other. Right. I, I pro- people probably did drink snow water. Sure, it's delicious and cold. Who wouldn't want some snow water? This, this association was so, uh, this was so strongly made that actually, if you look at some traditional, like, Bavarian clothing, from especially like the Salzburg area um, from the 19th century. It includes a choker that uh, especially women would wear, you know, the, mm-hmm. the necklace, the choker. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you you looked confused. No, I'm, I'm, I understand that. <laughs> it includes a stroke, a choker that was called the Kropf band or Struma band, which was specifically to either hide a goiter or to hide whatever was left after you'd had surgery. So like, okay, I'm, I'm having trouble understanding something. A goiter, you can remove a goiter or like, yeah, you need, do you always have a goiter or do you only have a goiter when you have a goiter? <laughs> you no, not. Okay. A goiter is an, oh, like the thyroid gland is too big. It's an overgrowth. Okay. But you can't just take that out. Right. Cause you need yeah. the gland. Well, you do need the gland, but now we can replace the hormone that you need. So if we yeah, have to, if we these, have to take your thyroid out, we can. Back in these days, they couldn't have. Well, they could have removed part of it and left part of the gland. They were just guessing anyway, right? <laughs> You're only going to look at 35? Well, Let's just spin the do- roll the, the dice. A partial thyroidectomy, only removing part of the thyroid is not, I mean, that, that happens even today. So that, that would not have been impossible. Okay. 
So removing a goiter would have been totally possible once we knew how to do surgery and such. Okay, got it. Um, so recommended treatments from the Greek and Roman era encompassed a lot of different substances, especially things like lizard and dog poop. Mm. I have no idea why that association was made. No. There are some things we're going to get into that made a lot of sense that didn't. I think any time we used poop in treatment, we were probably just kind of guessing. Yeah. There's very little, like, <laughs> logical lines you could draw between, like, well, I don't know, maybe. Just poop. It's just poopy. Maybe yeah, it's poopy. It. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, there was one Roman physician, uh, Aurelius Celsus, who advised just cut it out. See, I th- Or maybe burn it out. I think that's a problem. Don't burn it. Oh, man, <laughs> Celsus. I mean, I'm not saying that we're not going to get there, but at the time, we probably couldn't have done that well. Mm-hmm. Um, da Vinci drew the thyroid gland. If you look at his anatomical drawing diagrams, he was aware of its existence. He drew it and his theory as to what it did, because he had no idea, but I just think it's an interesting theory. He thought that it just basically filled the space between the neck muscles. <laughs> just kind of, well, you need something there to fill that empty space. And it keeps the trachea from bumping up against the sternum. So he thought it was a shim. Basically, yeah, like the, one of the body's many shims, exactly. <laughs> a spacer to keep things apart to make everything look nice. That's such an artistic right. way of like, well, you need something there to hold all those other structures in place. Right. So we'll just there it is. There's the thyroid. Um, the first mention, and this becomes a very common treatment throughout history. There is a mention from China, 1600 BCE of using burnt sponges, as in like sea sponges Mm. or seaweed, as a treatment for goiter. This was a good idea. They didn't know why. Nobody knew why it was a good idea. They just... But it was one of those times where they tried something, it probably did help, and people kept trying it. I wonder how they got to that. Just like intuited it or... That's why I just throw spaghetti at the wall, I guess. It's, it's why. I mean, it, it, how do people figure these things out before they know. understand the, the medicine underneath? But they did. Um, and, and these substances do contain iodine, which is why they helped. And we're going to talk about why iodine helps with goiter soon. Oh, no. But first. Ah. Oh. Let's head to the billing department. Leave me hanging. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From, from, from a, a box? Pre-prepared, all I got at two minutes, I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat, there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. 
get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McQuarrie fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McElroy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Now, Sydney, you promised me a lot of talk about iodine <laughs> and then just left me hanging. And I'm hoping you can uh, hold up your end of the bargain now. I'm going to go ahead and deliver on that now, even though even though there's a lot more history to get through. I do want to make clear because I think that it helps to understand the the discoveries to follow. So iodine is essential in producing thyroid hormones. Without iodine, your body can't make them. Okay. And we, you, iodine is considered an essential uh, uh, element, and meaning that we don't make it; we need to go get it from food. Okay. Um, and it's it it's easy to get nowadays, and we'll talk about why it's 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 not something you probably think about. Like, did I eat enough iodine today? We've made that pretty simple, but back before we understood its importance, it really depended on where you lived. Mm. Some areas have soil that is naturally very rich in iodine, so and eat so. The dirt. Well, no, you, I mean, you don't eat the dirt, but you eat, like, Vegetables food from the dirt, the dirt and water yes, 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 and yes, yes. that kind of stuff. So iodine would have been easy to just get from your environment. But if you lived in areas where there was iodine-poor soil, you may not have gotten enough naturally through your diet. Things like seaweed naturally contain a lot of iodine. And mm-hmm. so that's why you start to see these themes emerge of people eating things that have iodine in them that will then... Give your body what it needs, which means your thyroid can start making thyroid hormone, which means your brain can stop stimulating your thyroid gland, which means it won't get so big. Does that make sense? Yes. All right. What's iodine look like? For some reason, I always imagine it in like, like it looks like a bottle of ink. That's the image I always get in my head when I think about iodine, just like a big bottle of ink. But I don't think that it's like like dark purple and black. Well, like I kind of think of iodine that way, but... Yeah, well, when it was first, no, but when it was first discovered, it there is, and we'll talk about when it was first discovered, they did associate it with like a purple 
purple poof of smoke or something. Okay. I don't maybe we're Maybe all that's just, where that comes yeah, from. Who knows? I don't know. I just what I think of when I think of iodine. No. Okay. It is it is dark, but like it's orangish. You know brownish. what? I might have seen somebody do an experiment that showed the iodine in salt using purple something and I just got some wires crossed in my head. I think now I don't know. I'm not a I'm not a chemist. I do think there are forms of iodine that have a purplish I think you're right. Maybe I think it depends that. on what form of iodine you're using. Can you just say that again? I've never heard you say it while you're recording. <laughs> just repeat that out loud. I wanted to make an I, isolated text message alert a bull. I'm certain. I'm certain our chemist friends who listen can can clarify that point. But I think the hey, color listen, of y'all, iodine. I love you. I love you so much. I love all of you. I'm a very busy man. Do not tweet at me about <laughs> the color of iodine, please. I beg of you. Please set me free. Don't well, do the, this. The preps we use, like in surgical, like iodine for surgical procedures and things like that, are not purple. But I'm not saying. I mean, you know, it's like a lot of things. It depends on like, is it in a salt salt form or is it a is it liquid? Is it solid? Like it, it can change color depending on what form it's in. Dang so, it. okay. you know. Anyway, so in the sixth through eighth centuries, surgeries continue to be attempted. As I already said, like people have already have kind of started to think, like maybe we should do surgery for this, just mm. cut the goiter out. Uh, and they're mainly either using hot wires. Ugh. To try to kind of cut through the tissue. Very unpleasant. Or if you can't do that, they... They didn't have knives? Like... Well, that that was your backup. They would try to, like, stitch hot wires through it slowly. Or just use a scalpel if you couldn't do that. That was the the backup plan. Um, It wasn't until the 10th century that albicasis removed a whole gland um, while a patient was really high on opium. Nice. So, it was like anesthesia, you know. It was for a purpose. Medicinal opium. Uh, Medicinal opium. Uh, in the 12th century, though, goiter was largely treated with things like calcium and copper and sulfur and ammonium salts, or they had like a specific concoction of uh, barren walnut leaves, roots, wine, and pepper. Mm-hmm. But underneath all these other random things people were trying, you still see recommendations for things like burnt and dried marine sponges. So again, returning to iodine being present in substances even though people didn't know um while a lot of different physicians were trying to study the thyroid gland especially in terms of goiters because they were so prominent and so many people complained about them probably Mm -hmm. because a lot of people had them um there was a lot of disagreement as to you know what was going on what was the disease what was the cause uh they were thought to be related to the trachea sometimes some people thought they were related to the heart to the spleen they argued over whether it was there just for shape or was it there to make things or was it there to absorb things some people followed the hippocratic tradition some people believed galen was right um they thought it was maybe just a buffer between the heart and the brain okay provided some sort of conduit between the two sure whatever uh surgery was still popular as a treatment when you didn't know what else to do as well as just like squishing the gland down like wrap it with with cloth like soaked in vinegar gu- or ammonia girdle like a little, a little neck girdle goiter girdle a goiter girdle <laughs> exactly uh seaweed marine shell sponges they still persist and you would have thought by now they would have taken over but no people are still doing other weird things <laughs> and finally we figure out iodine in the 1800s that's when we really we really make a breakthrough in 1811 there was a frenchman 
Bernard Bernard Courtois, who accidentally figured out iodine. He wasn't trying to. He was not a doctor. Uh, he was actually trying to uh, find a way to um, help manufacture gunpowder. <laughs> oh, fun. Okay. So not at all looking to cure people, right. really. Um, he was working with Napoleon's army, and he had run out of the willow ashes that he needed to make sodium carbonate, which is in gunpowder. Ap- apparently it's is in gunpowder. Uh, yeah. They talk about that in 1776, I think. Ah, okay. So there you go. And so he began burning seaweed and was using those ashes instead. And he added a little too much sulfuric acid at some point. And in all of this, a purple puff of smoke, like I said, arose and it hardened into some violet crystals. So something, some form of iodine is purple. Something's purple. There you go. Um, He basically said, I don't know what that was, and went back to trying to make gunpowder. Anyway. But (laughs) eventually, this substance that he isolated would be studied again, figured out that it's iodine named, and voila, we know what iodine is. So he just left the purple dust in a pile there. That's somebody else's problem. I guess. He must have written about it, though. Like, clearly he wrote it up. He apparently wrote it up because we put him in this episode of (laughs) Solvents. He wrote about it and then said, whatever. We, we very rarely include people in histories for leaving dirt around, <laughs> leaving I'm, weird purple dirt on their desk. This seems interesting, but I'm very much into gunpowder I want right history now. to remember I found out about this and did nothing with it. I need to put this <laughs> in my journal. Um, so all of those substances that we've talked about before, turns out they contain iodine and that's part of why it helped. Um, Eugene Bauman, a scientist in the 19th century, started... Uh, while we were stu- studying different things, like, okay, so we know there's different things in the thyroid, so maybe maybe we can help people by figuring out what they're lacking or giving mm-hmm. them those substances and that kind of thing. He boiled uh, a 1,000 sheep thyroids in, <laughs> in sulfuric acid, collected the stuff that precipitated out of it, mm-hmm. um, and he noticed that there were high levels of iodine present in it, so reaffirming that... There's iodine in there. Perfect. Um, And he began to treat patients with goiter with this sheep thyroid extract. And that sounds like out of context, that would sheep thyroid extract would sound very much like one of our fake treatments that is on sawbones. Nope. It is real. It's a real one. That's I mean, the original treatments for thyroid were like animal thyroid extract. So. So there you go. There it is. So, so we had figured out. Um, and this was the same period of time. We're, we're really starting at this point in history to figure out a lot of stuff about thyroid glands. This is the same time where we connect it to something, because I know a lot of people have also written specifically asking about this, something that used to be called cretinism. Mm-hmm. That is a term that we no longer use in medicine. It's considered a derogatory term. And so you would not, it, I, I, I purely mention it for, you know, historical academic purposes Mm -hmm. the term cretinism is someone who is born with congenital hypothyroidism this usually means that uh the their whoever was carrying the child had hypothyroidism and therefore and was not treated and therefore the fetus suffered some effects from that and so was born with hypothyroidism um I, I mention it because we finally figured out that all this was connected and that we could treat people born with this condition with thyroid hormone um what is the name of it now what do we call it now congenital hypothyroidism okay 
Uh, but the name, a lot of people talk about where did that name come from? Cretinism. Mm-hmm. And it there, there are several theories. The one that I learned in med school actually is not certain. It is one theory, but I, I was taught that it was absolute. I remember being told this and thinking this is correct. And from what I've read, this is just one possibility. It comes from the word for Christian. And it was thought that these people could not sin because there were usually some cognitive delays associated with it. Okay. And so it was thought these people were incapable of sinning because they didn't understand the difference between right and wrong. So they were connected with Christian, with Christ-like behavior. That, and that was what I was taught that word came from. It may actually have been connected to Christian in terms of these are human beings and an attempt to try to humanize people who have some sort of disability through the the naming of it. Hmm. If that makes sense. But still, we're not sure about this enough, so we're just no. we just decided as a as a community to say like <laughs> we're not gonna say that anymore. We well, it's it's a derogatory term. You should not use it. It is not something that we use in medicine. We are taught it for historical purposes in med school, but we say congenital hypothyroidism. Okay. That is the that is the term. Um, in the following decades, Graves and von Basdow were two doctors who began to define the opposite hyperthyroidism, meaning you make too much thyroid hormone. Um, and that's why Graves' disease is one version of that to this day. There are many reasons why your thyroid might become dysfunctional. I'm not going to go into all of them, but Graves' disease is one. Um, and all the symptoms that come with that. So whereas people with not enough thyroid hormone can have uh, fatigue and weight gain and dry skin and their hair can fall out and constipation and the swelling, uh, people with too much thyroid hormone will have kind of the opposite symptoms. So like a good, like everything's great? No. Like they have full lush hair and they can lose weight really easily and Well, they do lose weight really easily, but it's a bad thing. They can oh, become they can okay. you know, they can lose too much weight ah, and you right. have diarrhea and your heart races and you're anxious and you're sweaty. It's not a good thing. Not your heart thing. can beat so fast that you have arrhythmias, abnormal oh, gosh, heart rhythms. Okay. So, no, so it's not a good thing. Oh, on my face. Either way is not a good thing. Um and in addition in this period of time Somebody actually proposed for the first time, maybe we should start adding iodine into something that everyone eats. Like, how about salt? Hmm. And everybody kind of like was, nah. Oh, sounds hard. Yeah. Um, this, this wouldn't happen for like another hundred years. Um, it was, it was, like I said, it was initially mentioned, the, the guy who mentioned it was David Marine. He was a pathologist from Johns Hopkins and he had this interest in goiters and, uh, he had, he found this idea from a French chemist who existed long before him, um, whose last name is Boussingault. I'm trying my best here with the French pronunciation. Uh, it's fine. It sounded good in my ears. Uh, he, and he had noticed all the way back in the 1830s that if you found places with crude sea salt, which has, which has iodine in it, mm-hmm. people don't have goiters, but places where they didn't have that, people did have goiters. And so he had recommended this idea of like put iodine in the salt. Nobody paid attention to it until David Marine did many, many years later. And he said like, you know what? Everybody eats salt. So why don't we just put iodine in the salt and kind of stole this idea from 100 years ago, Hmm. um, which was a good one then and it's a good one now. And it seemed like a good solution. So after he did some experiments where he took a bunch of um, actually schoolgirls who lived in an area uh, that was prone to goiter development and he gave them iodized salt and none of them ever got goiters. Everybody went, yay, you did it. And so it started out in Michigan and um, 
they started adding iodine to salt and that has continued and it's a huge public health triumph most of our salt is iodized did you I know think, that yeah we did well didn't we do we did a salt episode where we talked about it yes so i did know that because i remember all of it photographically <laughs> so by adding it to our salt we are all insured we love salt we are all insured that we get plenty of of iodine in our diets and then we don't develop voider um by the mid-1900s, as I had already alluded to, we knew that using thyroid extract from animals to treat hypothyroidism and um, goiter and that kind of thing was successful. So we began to synthetically produce thyroid hormone, mm-hmm. commonly called levothyroxine nowadays. or Synthroid is the brand name a lot of people connect it with. That's a brand name, but levothyroxine. So commonly we, we use that to just replace the thyroid hormone that you don't have enough of. It's that simple. I like elegant solutions. It's just, it's that easy. You don't have enough, we give you some. Um, and we use, like I said, we use iodine to prevent goiter as well as if you have too much thyroid hormone, hyperthyroidism or Graves' disease, something like that, we can actually use radioactive iodine to destroy thyroid tissue because your thyroid gland is going to soak it up. Mm-hmm. So we use that to destroy excess thyroid tissue as well. So it is both a... I don't know. That seems like a, it is a treatment, although it's doing something destructive. It's a treatment as well. Um, it took us a while to figure out the right dose. And we initially gave a lot of patients too much iodine in this process. Mm-hmm. And so there are symptoms of iodine poisoning that we figured out from that. Um, but uh, since then, we we're much better at it. And so now we know the right dose of iodine to give people. And we know how much thyroid uh, medication to give Hooray. people. And we figured it all out. All right. We did it. Pretty much. Do you ever wish that you, do you ever feel like you missed like a lot of these good medical puzzles? Do you wish that you lived in a time period where like there was still a lot of this unsolved ever? I think there still is. Oh, okay. Well, good. That's right. <laughs> Cancer and stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think, you know, uh, we talked like a lot about. these are like the easy ones, right? Like, it's like <laughs> just salt, maybe. I don't just know. some salt. Try a salt, rub a she- seashell on it. That well, worked. I would say two things. I would say Where's one, there's still a lot more puzzles because we didn't, we didn't talk a lot about, for instance, thyroid cancer. And when you talk about cancer in general, there's something we're still, we still have a lot of work to do to figure out right. how best to treat. Um, but the other thing I'd say is there's a different puzzle here. We may have figured out that in in this country we add salt, we add iodine to salt, and so we see much much less goiter. Mm-hmm. Per, I mean, it's possible, but we don't see. Much. I've never seen a case of goiter in my career. Um, but there are many places in the world where they don't have access to any kind of iodized food, and so they're not getting enough iodine, and we're still seeing goiter as an endemic problem. Hmm. So there's still that puzzle, which is, well, we may have solved it in some places, but how do we make sure that everyone has access to that medical knowledge and that treatment and that that same care know, that we're getting? So there's know. a whole other puzzle that maybe interests me just as much, maybe a little more sometimes. So, um, Folks, that's going to do it for us for this week. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, thanks to Max Fun Network for having us as a part of their extended podcasting family. You can follow, find all their great shows at MaximumFun.org. Also, thanks to the taxpayers for letting us use their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. And most of all, thanks to you for listening. We sure appreciate it. And uh, we hope you'll join us again next time. But until then, my name is Justin McRoy. I'm Sydney McRoy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.